the church we can be. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Go to Stone's Corner, enter that roundabout. There's only one thing you cannot do. You cannot park and you cannot stand still. Whether you go to the north, to the west, to the east, or to the south, when you enter that roundabout, you must keep moving. As we have considered over the last month, thinking about the gospel and what it means to be a people moved by the gospel, the message is right in front of us every time we hit Stone's Corner. Whether it is upward or inward or outward or onward or forward, we must keep moving. Luke ends his gospel and begins the book of Acts with the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. On Acts in Acts chapter 1, his disciples are all in a room like this, waiting on the Holy Spirit to move. And in Acts chapter 2, where we are at, they enter the roundabout, and the Holy Spirit moves them through the preaching at Pentecost. This is the gospel that sets them on the move. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, Peter preaches, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Look at that movement. It was not possible for Jesus to stay still. He moved here on earth in his life, lived perfectly for you, was killed by you, Peter says, and was so moved he rose up from the dead for you. Brothers and sisters, this is the message of the gospel. And let me ask, has that message moved you? 
Has it changed your life? Has it raised you from the dead? I'm not asking you if you know that story. I'm asking you if the story knows you. And if that story owns you. Let that gospel sink in so that it shapes your life and changes your life. Believe in this Jesus and move like him today. But this ideal church in Acts chapter 2 is a picture of what happens when a people do that together. This is the ideal church. It is the textbook example of what a church can be. So what I want to do, at least in this first half together, brothers and sisters, is to look again at this church and show you all five directions that we've talked about. The five directions in this church in Acts. I want you to see that everything we've talked about is not new. It starts day one. Brothers and sisters, it, if it's new to you, that says something. This is how the gospel moves his people from the beginning. Now, I'm going to give you two opportunities to respond. Today's different, if you haven't noticed. I'm going to give you two opportunities to respond. Once, personally... And once as a church together. So after we respond the first time, brothers and sisters, I don't want you packing up and getting ready to leave. Because you get two invitations today. Okay? I know my son's trying to distract you, but are you with me up here? Okay? Five directions in the book of Acts. The first direction the gospel sends us is to respond upward. When God shows us his greatness, we must respond upward with our greatest praise. So where do we see that in this paragraph? If you still have your Bible open with you, you can see in verse 42, they were devoted to the teaching. That's where it starts. As Stephen Lawson writes, it is the truth of sound doctrine that ignites our hearts to worship. They were not only devoted to teaching, but in verse 42, they're devoted to prayer. In verse 43, awe is their atmosphere. Reverence and wonder. In verse 46, it moved to their homes. They ate with glad hearts. They were responding upward in worship, even at their dinner tables together. In verse 47, they were all praising God day by day. Brothers and sisters, worship is not relegated to a day or a time. If the gospel owns our lives, we should respond upward with lives of worship. Lives of worship. Romans 11 verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So we've established a priority here, brothers and sisters. This is the most important direction. And one phrase that needs to be coming out of our mouth at every juncture, 
every decision is what most glorifies God. What makes his name matter the most? What is the most upward thing we can do here? The gospel not only calls us to respond upward, it calls us to commit inward. When Jesus lets us wear his jersey, we commit our lives to his family. We play our part on the team. Verse 42, they devoted themselves not only to teaching, but to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the unity. They devoted themselves to the togetherness. They devoted themselves to time with one another. Verse 44 tells us they were together and had all things in common. Now, how often did this happen? Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. The gospel created this family. It created a bond. They they belonged together. They grew together. They served together. They loved together. John MacArthur writes, God works where people have close relationships of genuine spiritual ministry. He does not look for creativity, ingenuity, or cleverness, but for willing and loving obedience. And just think about that quote. How many close relationships of genuine spiritual ministry are actually in this room? And how many superficial relationships related to geography and politics and sports are in this room. Where is the devotion to fellowship? Ephesians 4, verse 15 to 16, Paul says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each heart is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What step do you need to take to show your commitment to the family? Devote yourself to the fellowship. The gospel sends us in another direction. We proclaim outward. When Jesus shares the riches of his grace, you cannot keep that treasure to yourself. Where do we see this? Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the teaching, the proclamation of the gospel. In verse 46, they moved to the temple. Now part of what they're doing there is they are going to the Jewish place of worship to witness about the message of the Jewish Messiah who has fulfilled all of the sacrifices that people are still doing. And going to the temple is a witness to their gospel. And the result in verse 47 is they have favor with all the people and the Lord added daily. You see that? The Lord didn't add converts on Sunday. He added converts, disciples daily. Because witnessing wasn't done from a pulpit. It was a daily activity. 
a continuous way of life. Brian House writes, the greatest resource the church has is not technology or wealth. It is the people themselves purchased by the blood of Jesus sent to proclaim the gospel. It is not how much money is in our bank account. It is not how many cars are in the parking lot. It is how many disciples are living their lives and opening their lips to share the hope that is within them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The gospel doesn't stop there. It propels us further, and it keeps going. It keeps putting us back in the roundabout, and it causes us to continue onward. If the gospel never stops flowing onward, neither should we. Now, where do we see this? Now, these next two directions are harder to see in this paragraph. You have to see, stick with me, and you have to be able to connect some dots. You can't see onward in just one paragraph, in one episode. You've got to to look further on. What happens to this church? Things don't stay perfect. Persecution comes. This church becomes illegal. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it did not stop them from passing it on. Luke tells us that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Later on in Acts chapter 20, Paul passes the baton to elders who will pass the baton onto the saints who will then go and proclaim the gospel in Ephesus. You see the baton on the move. Mark Dever writes, under the sovereignty of God, the future generation of disciples depends on us. Do you feel the weight of that? The gospel is not for your generation. It came to you for the next one. Psalm 78 verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. Brothers and sisters, none of us know how much time we have left before our race is over. What are you going to do with the time you've got? Not only do we continue onward, we must think forward. As beautiful as things were in the beginning for this church, the church kept letting the gospel move. Now, this is the ideal church, right? But God still found ways for it to improve. Right now, You see in verse 46, they're still meeting in the temple together. Do you know why? It's because they're all Jewish. And they all were allowed into the temple. But the book of Acts shows us that God moves this ideal church outward to include the Gentiles. To improve the ideal by adding a diverse people for the king. 
That's why when God lets the gospel move, he keeps moving. And he causes the disciples to think forward. That's why in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And then when the Jews were trying to figure out what all this means for circumcision and how the gospel should change the way we think about the law, and if they should ask us Gentiles to follow the law of Moses, they did not let the past dominate them, not even the Old Testament. They didn't argue about how they used to do it or how the way things have always been. But under the direction of the Holy Spirit in verse 19, they say, we should not trouble the Gentiles with all of this. They stop meeting on Saturdays, the Sabbath, and they think forward and change their worship day to meet on Sundays. And they let people who eat things they don't eat worship with them. They let people who would never have belonged to the family belong to the family. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul's talking about his own heritage as a Pharisee, he says in verse 13 to 14, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, hear me when I say this. Yesterday's grace is not enough. Old-time religion saves no one. An ancient church father, Chrysostom, said it this way, we must reckon not far, we must reckon not how far we have advanced, but how much still remains. We, brothers and sisters, if we want to carry this thing forward, must think forward. And that's what I want to do from here. I've tried to show you over the last month and today that none of this is new. This is how God moves in his people. It's his plan. And his plan does not change. I am not going to spend one minute this morning deconstructing how far we have veered off from this. I've made my case. If you think that we're there, I need you to go back and listen to the last month's worth of messages. Brothers and sisters, if this ideal church still had room to grow, do we not also? I want to set our eyes on the path forward. What I'm going to share with you now is five vision statements of what this church can be. It is not what this church is, but it is what this church can be. I want to read them and show them to you right now. Number one, we exist to glorify God above all else. His name matters more to us than our own. Number two, 
We glorify God by growing like Christ together and using our gifts to serve the church family. Number three, we glorify God by proclaiming the message of the gospel everywhere we go. Number four, we glorify God by making disciples and training others to do the same for the generations to come. Number five, we glorify God by trusting his word and spirit to direct us forward in the power of his resurrection. Friends, by all means, take a few minutes and read those statements again. Right now, I just want you to think about your personal relationship with God. Your personal Christian life. And where you are at on the road of life with him. Can you affirm every word of this? Can you say that this is who you want to be? Can you give your life to these gospel directions? Is this, in fact, the kind of life that you want to live for God? Brothers and sisters, what we ought to be aware of is how far we still have to go. James chapter 4, verse 10, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Friends, we have not come to this roundabout to just look out the window and nod at what God does. We enter the roundabout to move. And so I'm going to invite you to respond to this at a personal level, just between you and God. Go ahead and close your eyes. Bow your head. Do what you need to do to consider these things with God. I'm going to keep those statements on the screen if you want to pray through them with God. Confess. Plead. Allow me to ask you some questions while you're doing that. What is God challenging you to do to let the gospel move in your life? Brothers and sisters, I believe some of us, God is calling us just to belong to him. We don't even have a salvation that moves us yet. And we're clinging to rituals that don't mean anything. 
friend, if that's you, don't take another day. Belong to Jesus. It might mean belonging to a church family. You sat on the sidelines, never actually joined this church, just watching. It's not how God moves. It might mean taking ownership and growing more mature in Christ. Growing as a witness, as a disciple. Friend, it may mean letting go of some fear and having a deeper trust in his spirit to move this church forward. Letting go of some control, letting go of what you know. Letting the spirit move you. Brothers and sisters, do not get into this roundabout and park. Connor's going to lead us in a song of response. You can sing. You can spend a moment with God. But let's let him do work in us first before we start thinking about what this means for us as a church family. Think back to Acts chapter 2. All that we see, all this movement in the church, one simple question. Where'd that all come from? How'd that happen? The Spirit comes and empowers the preaching. This ideal church happens because Peter gets up there and preaches the gospel, and God moves. And if you look a little further back in Acts chapter 2, the people are so moved by it. In verse 37, They call out to the preacher and say, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent. Have you noticed, brothers and sisters, as we've talked about the directions the gospel sends us? It never calls us backward. Repent is the only backward. Come back to Jesus. Come back to these directions. Friends, there's a lot of us in a lot of different ways. The only thing we want is to go back. We wish things were the way they were before. We wish life and society were the way they were before. I want to go back to the way church was before. Brothers and sisters, the gospel does not move us backward. And we will not be going there. If we are sober-minded about where we are, brothers and sisters, if we open our eyes past the way we feel about this place and just look around the room And think about where we are and what has happened. We need a gospel-driven repentance. We need a gospel, Holy Spirit-empowered change. Friends, that word scares too many of us. And what I want to do is try to help you understand why that's not scary. 
the gospel is a story of change. God is the only one who never changes, right? The only one. He's the great I am. And yet, what's the gospel say? That God, who never changes, took on flesh. He changed his location and lived here on earth, became a human. Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, died. That was new. And he was buried. That was new. And he rose again. He was the firstborn from the dead. The first one to be changed. And when we let the gospel moves us, the Bible calls that a new birth. You must be born again. You must change from your dead self and become a new living self. We celebrate this particularly as Baptists through a ceremony that pictures the change where we are buried with Christ in baptism and we are changed, transformed, and raised to walk in a new life. The entire rest of our growth, our sanctification, the Bible tells us, is putting off the flesh and putting on righteousness. A process of change. And what is our future hope? What do you hope will happen when you die? Or when Christ comes back? It is that the dead will change and rise and meet their Savior. And that those who are still here, Paul says, all of us will change into new glorified bodies. Do you hear this gospel? From the beginning in your new birth until the end and your resurrection, the only thing you know when the gospel moves you is change. Our blood-bought DNA is a bloodline of transformation. This is our story. This is our song. If the Jewish church and Acts can let go of circumcision, what's too sacred for us? If the Jews can stop meeting on Saturdays, what's too hard for you, Gentile? If they can change everything they know, what's holding us back? If Luke's picture-perfect ideal church still has room for growth and new expressions of life, can we not give God the freedom to do the same? All I'm calling us to do is embrace who we already are. Born again. Raised to walk in new life.
Philippians chapter 3, when Paul is talking about his process, his need to improve, Paul says he will go at it like this, by any means possible, that I may know the resurrection from the dead. You look at these five statements, brothers and sisters, how are we going to get there? We need to get with Paul and be able to say, by any means possible. I want to remind you what I'm hoping to do this morning. You may look at that and where we are and think the gap's too big. Brothers and sisters, this is the church we can be. I read those five statements and every single one of them are doable. It doesn't matter how big we are. It doesn't matter how many people are baptized. It doesn't matter how much money's in the offering plate. I read those things and I know when people let the gospel move, those things can happen. We can glorify God. We can make his name matter more. We can grow like Christ, and we can use our gifts. We can proclaim Jesus wherever we go. We can make disciples of the next generation. And we can trust God's word to lead us forward. All of those are doable. I believe it so much that what I want to do is show you from Scripture how doable it is. I want to encourage you. This is what we can be. Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to write any of this down. You don't have to turn in your Bibles. I want you to read these things from God's Word. I want the Word to wash over you, like Ephesians 5 says. I want you to receive this Word from God. This is not from me. You're not going to get another Word from me. This is who we can be. I'm sure of this. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, is there any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, finally then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11 to 12, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you were made the good conf- 
good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Philemon verses 8 and 9, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. 1 Peter 1 verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 9 and 12, 9 to 12, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God chapter 13 verses 20 to 21 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Timothy 4 verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Romans chapter 16 verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible is clear. This is the church we can be. Brothers and sisters, there's no obstacle too great. God can still move. Let the gospel give you confidence in what he can do. When I read these five statements again, brothers and sisters, I see a church that we can be. What about you? What's it going to take for us to get there? What are we going to have to do? For this, it's going to take some desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. It's going to take deep unity. If we're going to move and be this church, You can't be on an island by yourself. You've got to be with the family. And it's going to take gospel intentionality. You're going to have to change your conversations, change your rhythms. Think intentionally about the way you engage your neighbor, each other. Think intentionally about the way we use our gifts. Brothers and sisters, look at these statements. Do we want that? Not just for ourselves at this point. Do we want that for this community? 
Do we want that for our children, for our grandchildren? I'm going to invite you again, especially if you call this place home, to respond to the gospel as a family. If you want our church body to be this, if you want to see God move in this community, I want to ask you to come before God and pray. This time, brothers and sisters, maybe it's going to take more than just sitting there in our pew. I don't care how far back in the room you are. If you want that, I want to challenge you to move. Whether it's up here, before God, praying for the next generation, or with a brother and sister around you, praying together, If we want that to happen, we can't sit still. As Connor plays, let's move that direction. Let's pray for this church family to see as he sees, to commit to our neighbor, to lay our lives down that by any means possible, we may see the resurrection from the dead. God, make us a people who glorify you above all else. Your name matters more to us than our own. God, make us a people who grow like Christ together and use our gifts to serve one another. God, let this message move us and send us to proclaim the message of the gospel everywhere we go. Free us from everything that keeps us from making disciples for the generations to come. Strengthen our trust in your word. Lead us by your spirit. Direct us forward in the power of your resurrection. Raise us as your people to walk in new life. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.